Support for Food Friday Leftovers comes from Berkshire Co-op Market, Great Barrington, Massachusetts, a community-owned natural grocery store dedicated to sustainable agriculture, the local economy, and the environment. Working within the community to better Berkshire County, one basket at a time. Berkshire.coop. Welcome to Food Friday Leftovers, a podcast about all the goodies left over from Food Friday. I'm Dave Hopper. And I'm Ashley Kinsey. Tune in each week as we cover culinary topics such as food trucks, local food, pizza, veggies, beer, and wine. You hungry yet? Huh, I'm always hungry. Well, on that note, Ashley, tell us what's in the fridge this week. This week we have chanterelles in the fridge. We are joined by three guests on this episode. Josh Coletto, John Sconzo, Michael Lappy. Thank you so much for joining us today. My first question has to do with, you spoke a little bit about different fire pits and things like that in the Vox Pop episode. How different, if I take, I don't know, a piece of meat that's been seasoned and I cook it in one fire pit, how different will it taste one to another? I mean, the, the fire pits aren't going to really change the flavor so much. That's just, it's for the different sized animals. So like a pig fire pit is obviously going to be a little too big to cook a lamb or you know, vice versa, and they'll be cooked in different styles. So a lamb fire pit, you might want to just have a fire on the ground and the cross hanging over it. But with the pig, you want it to be covered so you can slow cook it. Mm. Otherwise, the fire is the fire. The fire is the fire. Okay. So it would just look silly if there's one steak on a huge pig <laughs> fire pit. <laughs> I mean, it would, still, it would still taste delicious, I'm sure. If that's all you had, it would be great. <laughs> so would you have, like, different fire pits in a backyard, just one for different animals? I would just have a big one, and then you can do anything you want in it. So then I can cook multiple steaks and tell my wife, under just for the week. Yeah, or just have a fire <laughs> on the ground. That's yeah. just meal yeah. prep. There you go. I don't know yeah. if I can get away with a fire on the ground, considering she makes me put the grill in the back of the backyard to get away from the house. I'm not sure I could, although we do have a driveway, I could possibly do that. Sounds well. perfect. Uh, a couple <laughs> cinder blocks, you might be all set up. There you go. That actually leads me to another question. I have heard of people using cinder blocks. I have family members that use cinder blocks. But then I've also read that if you're not careful, the wrong cinder blocks will explode. Is that true or is that a myth? They won't explode. They'll crack, but they will not explode. Okay. And maybe by explode, they mean they'll kind of like all I, fall I over. I pictured and... <laughs> some like you're cooking and then all of a sudden you hear some crackling and pow, like, you know. Like a, if you're cooking with, say, bluestone, that explodes. And you don't want to get certain rocks in, into fire because they will blow Oh. So what is bluestone? <laughs> and how do well, let's identify bluestone so everyone you know, knows like, not you know, to like, use it. Like wallstone, like or, you or see? slate. Yeah. Well, the slate's yeah. good though. No? I'm not. I've not, I know that bluestone and or limestone Ooh. pops. Yeah. Oh. Well, bluestone it's it flakes very easily. Yeah. Too. It breaks up very easily. So it, that doesn't mm. surprise me. So does this actually explode or just like fall apart? It will explode. Yeah. Imagine if you have an air pocket within a seam. And the heat expands; it could probably could potentially explode. That might ruin the yeah, that the would meat be, a little bit. That'd and be a bummer. Your yeah, experience in general, yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> be worse than just ruining a steak. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us how the salad was made? So that is a, a roasted, a fire roasted corn salad. The corn was from Barber's Farm in Middleburg. Um, I added some foraged chanterelles that were I foraged yesterday from the woods near my house in Canajahari. And with the addition of that, there's just salt, pepper, olive oil, and some arugula from Pitney Meadows Farm, and some shaved hard goat cheese. So it's very simple. All the flavors that you're looking for are going to come through in each ingredient. 
and just seasoned very delicately with some salt, pepper, and olive oil. That's very nice. I like it. Yeah. It's very uh, local food, I guess. Right? Every, yeah, that's <laughs> what uh, you know. That's what we're driving for. Yeah, foraging is basically local food, and I feel like, especially now when people are out camping and that kind of thing, having an open fire and being able to forage seem like they would go hand in hand. And I just recently read an article about this, about how there are so many people in my generation and generations after me who don't know what it's like to forage. I personally wouldn't know, you know, outside of the articles that I've read and learning things from the Vox Pop episode in this show, I wouldn't know the first thing about foraging. So my first question is, you know, if, if somebody has an interest and they want to get to know what's available to them in their backyard, where would they start? It's all about education and learning, meeting new people. Say you reach out to an expert and you pick their brain on what they know, you research, and then you go back and confirm what you believe. And it's all about connections. And that's kind of how I base all this, everything local, local, the local food movement is, is I make connections with people. I learn new things. I learn new products, new techniques, and it's all a progression of learning. There's a program in uh, Denmark right now. Rene Redzepi, uh, the chef of Noma in uh, Copenhagen, is one of the great chefs of the world, period. He's undertaken uh, an effort to make sure that foraging is actually being taught in schools over there. I mean, I don't know that they are that it is yet, but he's he's behind that. And if he's behind it, I think I would not be in the least bit surprised if it happens. And I think it's a good idea. It's it's a very primal way of eating, uh, and not a bad way. There's a lot out there that you know to most people are weeds. Uh, but then if you look more closely and and you know what you're looking for, it actually becomes something quite useful and delicious. There's a lot of invasive species around here, too, and, you know, you can learn about those and you'll see them everywhere. And once you learn to identify something, you'll realize it's growing all around you all the time. You know, Japanese knotweed, for example, or garlic mustard is in, you know, on the side of the road everywhere and in people's lawns. And you can just, you know, you learn to use it and it helps with the invasive problem and it tastes great. Like dandelions, look at those. You know how many things you can do with a dandelion. It's funny that you said dandelions. My next question was going to be because my friend Dan asked me if he could eat the dandelions in his yard, and he wanted to know if he could. Question and is, I, what are they using on the yard? Yes. Well, exactly. You don't want to spray yeah. anything and then turn around and, yeah. and eat that. That would Yeah, be if good. I can get all the weeds in my yard to be edible so I can just get rid of them that way, that would be much easier than... Most yeah. of them probably yeah. are. <laughs> yeah, or have some medicinal use. I live in the vicinity of a village, so I'm not really into manicuring lawns, so I've kind of taken it, uh, and I've built raised beds on my whole yard, so I don't really have to mow yard anymore, so I can have vegetable gardens in my yard in my yard in town. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah, mowing the lawn gets tough after a while when it's 89 degrees outside. Yeah, if it was up to me, I'd just have to have long grass and let it go. I, I had the pleasure a couple of summers ago of actually one of the chefs who's coming up for our uh, fire feast, um, Jamie Young. Uh, and another horticulturist came up for an extended weekend, and they were looking around our, my property in, in gardens, and they were coming up with all sorts of things. I had no clue that they would be useful and delicious. And I mean, one of the most common things is sorrel, which oh, yeah. is uh, very um, uh, much prized right now in the new Nordic style of cooking. Again, bringing it back to Rene Redzepi, he's really popularized that particular 
quote, weed, unquote. Um, but it's it's actually very delicious and, and very useful, and there are all sorts of other things out there too that That's I had the no one clue that about. Lemony, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. very like sour. Lemon very clover, sour. they call it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's really good in salads. Mm. I have a question. When you talk about um, curing meats on the program, the Vox Pop, a mm-hmm. little bit, do you, any of you guys have any tips on making homemade jerky? Using a, a good dehydrator, have a good marinade. Um, typically, when I work with any local meat product. I don't like to confuse flavors. I won't introduce anything like soy. It'll basically be salt, pepper, um, just a, a basic cure to preserve the flavor of the meat. So you don't go crazy adding no, different I, things. No, uh, yeah, any food that I work with, I always try to keep the integrity of the ingredient. So you don't go with the crazy teriyaki flavors and all no, they have in the no, store. <laughs> no. <laughs> I suppose if you're new to it, you probably shouldn't go crazy to begin with. No, it's always good to start in a basic form and then build your way up. Is there any local place you would get the meat from to start with? Uh, countless farms. It's great to you know to look into who is around you and who what they're raising and making contacts and finding the farms that are doing the best at what they do. We're we're blessed with a lot of great farms yeah, in this area. Definitely, it's really one of the highlights to me personally of living in this area yeah. is that the farms are just sensational. I think the Hudson Valley probably has the most diverse and like highest concentration of farms in this entire country as far as organic farms and people growing different things and just the quality of food. And I would add that to be the the greater Hudson Valley, not just south yeah. of Albany, but north of Albany as well. So is farmer's markets the best place to It's to a great that? place. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And and just, we have great farmer's markets in the area too. Mm-hmm. And just being involved in your community and knowing the farmers that are growing the food, you know, they it, you're helping your local economy by supporting them and you're meeting people and these people are working so hard to make stuff that they really care about serving you so the quality is just going to be higher and 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 they're very often very happy to have you come and visit the farm in fact if there's a farmer who's uh not happy to have visitors at the farm I'd question it mm-hmm. uh, but it's a good way to get to know the farmer and be more comfortable with what you're eating both in a in a healthful way and in an ethical way yeah and then um my last question has to do with people who have their own gardens. My mother, for example, has a small garden. She did expand it a bit this year, but she expands it a little bit more every year. And how would she be able to create conditions to be able to, I don't know, grow her own chanterelles or something like that? Or is that something that has to just kind of happen? Those are wild. Yeah, those just, you okay. can, they're not cultivated, so the, you have to find them in this particular environment, and you know from year to year the exact date when they're going to appear again. Oh. So that's the, the cool thing about mushroom is that you can almost track the day that they're going to appear every year. So there's almost this hype up until that day of like, say, <laughs> I know morel season's coming this week and I'm waiting for this perfect rainstorm to go out the next day to look for morels. Hyper seasonal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you guys been waiting for those rainstorms that have been coming every week? Yeah, actually, yeah. People, <laughs> yeah, yeah, people think I'm crazy. They're like. Well, that's, that's the bright side of the rains. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it doesn't look like they're going to stop this year, that's for sure. I hope they stop. They're going to stop August 1st. <laughs> there you go. There'll be no rain that day. And for anyone who didn't listen to Vox Pop, do you guys want to tell us what's going on that day? Sure. We're doing Fire Feast on the Farm at Pitney Meadows Community Farm in Saratoga Springs. It's a fundraiser for the Pitney Meadows Community Farm, which is a not-for-profit farm that's dedicated to the education of both future farmers and consumers, as well as supporting initiatives like uh, community gardens, a children's garden, uh, uh, hiking trails, uh, 
uh, et cetera. It's, uh, it's a huge farm right in the middle of Saratoga Springs, which is a rather unique thing. And it's preserving a farm that would otherwise have gone out of circulation and doing some really cool things with it. Usually we don't get to do that stuff because usually they book guests like the day before and our podcast comes out on the following Monday. So we have to avoid the event. <laughs> this time we actually have some lead time so we can actually get it in there. Um, do any of you guys have a funny story to end us on that's happened? Yeah. I don't know. Is <laughs> <laughs> he foraging stories going around? Um, yeah, I took my kids out the other day and, you know, it's hard to get them to go out with me unless I well, unless I pay them. <laughs> but, <laughs> and not in mushrooms. Right, yes, yeah. They're more used to the uh the normal food that they No, they'll they they'll eat the uh anything foraged, but just they're not just, ready they, to go out and yeah, actually do not the work ready to get it. To go out and uh, risk the mosquitoes and the heat. And then, <laughs> I, I, I have a question. How about ticks? Ticks have actually subsided in the last month or so like during april may they're really bad and i i hate ticks because i've had lyme disease and it's the probably the worst thing i've ever went through but now they're kind of like they're kind of subsided yeah, i think it's just important to check yourself mm-hmm. yes yeah, so no matter when you're hanging out in the woods just yeah. get home and strip uh, down and make first, sure you don't have any ticks on you first thing i'll do is go after i'm done foraging i'll go in and take a shower and make sure you know that's one thing i never want to have happen again mm-hmm. yeah that's not good no. So uh, did they uh, get washed away, hopefully, all the ticks? Well, <laughs> yeah, I haven't, I haven't had a tick a tick bite in several months, so I'm pretty happy with that. All right. <laughs> well, let's hope none before August 1st or after. Yes, mm. right. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. That was Michael Lappi, Josh Coletto, and John Sconzo discussing open fire cooking. This has been Food Friday Leftovers. I'm Ashley Kinsey. And I'm Dave Hopper. Be sure to check out Vox Pop Food Friday every Friday at 2 p.m. on WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Our producer is Jim Laboulis. Our theme is Beach Disco by Dougie Wood. Food Friday Leftovers is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. And tune in next week to see what else we find in the fridge.